commercial real estate isn't terribly difficult, very risk averse, but I also want to chase super high returns. So the deals are two to three deals a year. And that was with hours and hours of searching. But initially, it was just learning as I went on. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Our show today is sponsored by Fortress Capital, a private equity company that I founded helped physicians build passive income through commercial real estate. Being a physician is a high-stress job, and building passive income streams is key to not feeling trapped in that job. Build your financial fortress with Fortress Capital. All right, today we have Ash Patel on the show. Ash left a corporate career 15 years ago and has been a full-time real estate investor since. Ash is one of my favorite people. So, Ash, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Man, I've made every mistake you can imagine, including having a 15-year career in the corporate world that I never really enjoyed, right? My wife's a physician. They're in the same boat, man. Once you're committed, you're committed. And you can't just pull the plug halfway through, right? I mean, you went through all that schooling, all that training. My degree was in computer information systems. I was set to be an IT person and never really enjoyed it, man. So kept starting a side hustle one after another. Some worked, some didn't. And then I finally found commercial real estate back in like 2009 and found my calling, right? So took the longest road possible to get there, finally got there and absolutely love commercial real estate. I think it's an important thing as you say, you took the longest road possible because when somebody who's coming down the road, it always feels like everybody you see that you're trying to be like, they've either been there for forever or they must have gotten there fast. And so it's great to hear that it was a struggle for other people and getting there can be tough. Yeah. And getting there, it was half the battle. And then all the mistakes that I made in commercial real estate was just a whole nother plethora of lessons learned, right? The mistakes, I think, is a hard part for physicians because you become risk averse and you're not supposed to ever make mistakes. And so you start looking to do something else. And there's a huge fear of mistakes. What can you tell people about those mistakes? Is there a good way to avoid them or some of them things you need to make? Yes. And my, a lot of my very, very close friends are physicians, friends of many, many years. So I know a lot of their mindsets. I've helped a fair number of them overcome some of those. And really, fear, I think, plays a big part of it. The righteous path that you guys and girls are on, it's hard to just be like, you know what? I'm going to try something else. I mean, your identity is a physician, right? Your identity is whatever specialist you are at social circles, gatherings. That's who you are. Imagine saying, you know, I'm going to try my hand at this real estate thing. Wait a minute. Like, 20 years of your life, you dedicated to being a physician. Now, all of a sudden, you're not sure. They're going to think something is wrong with you, right? So do what I did when I was in the corporate world. Start it as a side hustle. Educate yourself, right? Know that there's more out there. And the biggest mistake that high net worth business owners, 
physicians, attorneys, W-2 people make is they have somebody else entrusted with their life savings, their money. I can't tell you how many of these friends of mine, when I ask them, hey, like, are you in the stock market? What do you do? Yeah, I got a guy. Who's your guy? My dad used that guy. So that's my guy now. Okay. How's he doing? Yeah, I think he does pretty well. how did he do last year? No, nah, I think he did pretty. You have no idea. These people have no idea, right? And for some reason, these very highly trained, highly skilled individuals don't take the time to educate themselves on how to manage their money. Now, financial literacy is a big thing that's thrown out there. That's like balancing a checkbook, right? I'm talking about managing wealth and growing money. For whatever reason, we've entrusted that to other people for so long, and we think that they do a better job than we do. We think maybe they have access to mutual funds, investments, startup, whatever that we don't have access to. And it's not until you actually turn back the pages, dive into a little bit, you realize, oh my God, I can do this myself. I can figure this out, right? Yeah. I had a bunch of my money was managed by a professional money manager. I'd look when the stock market was going way up and I'd get my things. I'm like, wow, let's see how much money I got now. And it went up like half as much as the S&P. And you start digging in and there was a fee for this and a fee for that. None of those fees seem big for each one of them, but they added up. So when you started out, just tell us a little bit about your story, because I think it's a good story of how you got into commercial real estate. Yeah. So I was so desperate to find tax write-offs, right? Went into my CPA's office year after year. And my wife and I were both high earners, W-2s. And I said, Hey, what can we do to offset some of these taxes? And this grumpy old guy just mumbles and he's like, eh, if you make it, you got to pay it. And I'm like, come on, man. Like you read about all these exotic offshore accounts and crazy investments. Are you telling me like, there's no way out of this if you're a W-2 employee. So I started doing research on my own and I've always seen and heard that real estate is a good way to offset taxes, right? Didn't understand how that all works, but okay, cool. Nothing else has worked. So let's go buy something. I bought a mixed use building in a college town and Mike, this is how dumb I was at the time. I bought it because there was a grocery store slash beer store in the first floor. And I thought, awesome, there's four apartments above there, but the grocery store is what attracted me. And I thought to myself, okay, when the grocery store lease is over, I can go in there and have somebody manage that or me go in there, run that. And that's an extra source of income. So not only do I have the building, the rents, the apartments, but I could be a convenience store guy too, right? And that was my intention. So I went in there, rehabbed the apartments, and one day, unclogging a tenant's toilet, look out the window, the rooftop of the store was out the bathroom window, and I could see an HVAC company replacing all the outdoor rooftop units. So I went downstairs and I asked the store owner, I said, hey, what's going on? And he says, Ash, our AC went out, so we're just going to replace the entire HVAC system. And I was blown away that my college kids are putting holes in walls, carpets are getting trashed. I mean... They just destroyed my apartments. And these commercial tenants are putting their own money into my building. And Mike, as I'm walking out of that talk, the guy stops me and says, Ash, do you mind if we remodel the bathroom too? And I'm like, is this real life? I went home. And at the time, another one of my side hustles was an IT consulting company. So I shut that down, 
became a full-time commercial real estate investor. This was over 10 years ago. So I've since gone on to buy retail, industrial, medical, land development, office, mixed use, restaurants, anything that doesn't really have residential apartments in it. I don't like dealing with residents. I'd rather deal with business owners. So full-time commercial real estate investor for over 10 years. I think it's a scary thing because everybody's rented an apartment. So it makes sense to like, oh, I can do that. I can rent it to somebody else. And the step into things you've never done is a lot scary because you feel like you don't understand it. How did you get into industrial and warehouses and those types of things? Great question. I saw what I thought could be a great deal and dove in, made a lot of mistakes, didn't really lose money, but just could have shortened the learning curve had I reached out to more people for help. But at the end of the day, commercial real estate isn't terribly difficult, right? Very risk averse, but I also want to chase super high returns. So the deals are, they're not like the residential, the multifamily folks where they turn and burn deals left and right. Our deals are maybe now they're more often, but at the time, maybe two to three deals a year. And that was with hours and hours of searching. Today, we've got a whole team, a company built out. So we maybe do a deal every month or two. But initially, it was just learning as I went on, right? And initially, look, I would buy two, $300,000 retail buildings or flex space buildings or industrial buildings. A big one in the first few years is a $600,000 strip mall, which I sold for a million dollars one year later, but it was starting small. And in hindsight, that was a mistake. Should have gone bigger, faster, should have built out a team earlier. A lot of mistakes that I've made, but they're all lessons learned. But back to your question on why not play it safe? You would have thought that with residential, right? And look at housing prices now, look at demand. The apartment, the multifamily scene is imploding. For many years, that was a source of stable income. Invest in multifamily, everyone needs apartments, shortage of workforce housing, all these metrics seem to be in your favor. How can anything go wrong? Well, what went wrong were these operators were all following the same playbook where you buy apartments, you raise money, and you do variable rate interest loans. Interest rates are low. Matter of fact, they're going lower and lower until they're not. And now that they're not, that whole investment thesis is imploded. Many multifamily operators have paused distributions, and now they've gone as far as doing capital calls. And we're starting to see operators walk away from deals because there's no other option. So investors who once thought that these were safe assets are losing all of their capital, right? So look, we just came from a multifamily conference a few months back, and the theme at that conference was survive till 25. Well, Mike, in commercial real estate, we're thriving, man. We're not surviving, right? We're still making some killer deals. Yeah. Well, so I talked to other docs and I was talking to one about a strip mall deal we were looking at. And I hear a lot, they go, oh, retail strip malls. What about Amazon? Isn't everything online? What do you have to say to that? First, I would find out if they own or lease their building or if they're an employee. If they lease their building, who are they writing a check to every month? And how much is that landlord making? Right? This is the same conversation I've had with a bunch of franchise owners, national franchisees 
that for years would write a very hefty check to the strip mall owner and they operated their business. They worked their ass off. Strip mall owner sits back, collects a check every month. And when it finally clicked with these business owners, a lot of them transitioned into offloading their franchises and becoming commercial real estate landlords. But look, the Amazon effect is real. The big box stores have already suffered Bed Bath & Beyond, Toys R Us, JCPenney, already a lot of casualties, right? But retail, believe it or not, is the healthiest as it's ever been. Since 2004, the CBRE started recording a metric on retail vacancy. It's at 6%, the lowest it's ever been recorded at. So yes, the headlines love to talk about big foreclosures and malls shutting down. But if you actually do a search for commercial real estate news or retail news, you'll see a lot of health out there, right? Raw stores, expanding a couple hundred stores. I think Dollar General, if I'm not mistaken, they're adding like 800 stores this year. There's a lot of expansion going on. But still, don't be a believer in that. Just look at where you live, right? The suburbs that you guys are in, what's happened post-COVID? Everything has moved out to the suburbs. Before, the newest bars and restaurants opened in city centers and metropolitan downtowns. COVID kept us all close to home. We didn't want to go more than a few minutes from home. So all the shopping, all the bars, all the nightlife, all the fine dining spots, all the trendy bistros are opening in the suburbs. So it's like a new wild west where suburban commercial real estate is on fire right now. You don't ever want to buy a strip mall next to the Costco, the Whole Foods, the Best Buy, because that area, if you look at a one mile radius, there's going to be a couple million square feet of available retail. In a downturn, economic downturn, those areas are going to get hit and you're going to compete with millions of square foot of retail where the lowest price might win. So if you're going to invest in retail, Buy something that's landlocked. There's no more room to build additional strip malls. There's not a lot of competition for retail close by. And you have neighborhood services. Think about all the physician offices in these strip malls. Think about the dog groomer, the pizza place, the deli, the insurance agent, the little gift shop. A lot of these things are internet resistant and recession resistant, right? So those are never going away. I mean, we're always going to get a haircut. Women are going to get their nails done. After practice for the kids, we got to stop at the pizza place, stop at the deli, pick up something, right? So those are never going away. And we're seeing something for the first time where internet-only retailers are starting to get bricks and mortar stores. Warby Parker, I think, is a great example. They started out online as prescription glasses and sunglasses online. Now they're opening physical stores. So why would anybody do that? There's certain things that we want to go touch and feel. And one last thing, which is a relatively new phenomenon, is a lot of these discount retailers that you've seen pop up, right? The returns warehouses where you go in and it's all stuff that other people returned or overstock type stuff. Those are starting to decline because return policies for online vendors are getting more and more strict. My business partner just told me today that Lowe's implemented a 20% restocking fee. So oh. I think if Amazon, all these other retailers start making it more difficult to return things, it might push people back to bricks and mortar. 
Yeah. And that's always the stuff that, yeah, you want to pick it up. You want to feel it. You want to try it on. And people want to do that more now. For a doc getting into this, and it's this big, intimidating world, any recommendations on where to start? How do you get started learning about it? You can watch YouTube videos. What else? Who more trusted than one of your own, right? So you could watch YouTube videos. You could talk to people like me that take on investors, and you're going to see the whole gamut of people out there. Some are good operators, some are not, some are good salespeople and not good operators, vice versa. You never know. But somebody like you that's been a physician for many years, why not follow your path, right? So how did you do it? How did you get educated? And what made you decide that taking your financial future in your own hands was a good idea? And like, tell your story, right? Not to turn this interview around, but (laughs) like you had a mindset shift somewhere. Well, part of it was kind of already there because it was interesting. My wife was cleaning out some stuff in the basement. She's like, do you know how long you've been looking at real estate books? And she found stuff back from before we were married. And I was like, wow, that's true. Because I bought my first, what they call now a house hack during medical school. I saw that I could now borrow money and I could borrow enough to buy something bigger than I needed. And I could get a payment similar to my rent. So I bought a two-bedroom townhouse, got a roommate that got me close. And then I put another room in the basement and got another roommate. And all of a sudden I didn't pay any rent. And when I started residency, we bought a hundred-year-old half duplex that was a wreck and did a basic remodel on it and sold it at the end of the year for twice what we paid for it. And then it all kind of went away because I got busy as a doctor. And years later, we were moving and we couldn't sell our house because it was like 2009 and we tried renting it. And that was the one we got made the mistake and got a really bad tenant, never paid rent, had to take him to court to get him evicted. And that scared me for a while. But there was always looking back and seeing that I'd read things that the tax benefits of depreciation that you could see that people were paying rent and somebody was collecting it. And it seemed like all the really rich people out there owned some real estate. And so I really started pushing back and looking to that. And finally, we were going to buy a vacation property and we were looking for it. This fourplex popped up for about the same price or a little bit more than we were looking. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I bought that. And now the tenant's pay for everything, but it was work because tenants are work. And we have really good tenants, but they still break things. And so that's where I started looking like, what else? There's got to be a better way. So I started learning about syndications. And that was actually, I found a course that was put on by a doctor. It was like, oh yeah, I'll trust the doctor. And learned about syndications and did some multifamily syndication investment. Like you said, But I realized after I was into a few of them that I was looking back and that a lot of these were dependent upon refinancing at really good interest rates. And when you're at 3%, where's it going to go from there? And so that's where I started looking for other stuff and trying to figure out how do I get into these other asset classes and really thought, I need to find some people who have done this. That's the road is get into it with people who have already done it. So that was my direction. And that's where actually, so here's the full disclaimer. 
found Ash and kind of got into his group and around people who do other forms of real estate and start learning from them and investing with them. There again, it's the who, not the how. So get out there, meet people, find people, get to know them, and they can show you the road to build this financial freedom through commercial real estate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.